Happy Father's Day to all. We're glad you could be with us this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Doing a couple messages from Mark. Uh, <clears throat> this message will be the last one for a bit. Been working with some of the young men on preparing messages, and uh, we're going to have a Lord willing, a Sunday evening service uh, sometime towards the end of summer and have them speak and deliver uh, messages. And so they're going to have some of these after this passage this morning. They'll all be in Mark, but uh, working with them as, as I work through some of these sermons and then working with them on theirs. And so that's why we're in Mark this week. Uh, next week, we're going to be somewhere else, possibly a psalm just to get uh, some poetry uh, in during the summer. But uh, for today, I want us to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 45, and consider, are you a foe, a fan, or a follower of Jesus Christ? Sometimes we'll see on the news, uh, perhaps a child will go missing or or someone will be in a park and uh, they'll get lost and that type of thing. And, and they'll gather a search party to go out into the wilderness and to look for whoever's lost. And so there's the, the gathering of them. There's the signing of territories and they go out and they look for whoever's lost to find people. And... Uh, in the Old Testament, God predicted a time when he would be heading out and sending out people to look for his people throughout all the nations. We find that in Jeremiah 16. It's on the back of your hand out there <clears throat> or on the inside, I would probably. Jeremiah 16, verses 14 through 16, we read there, it says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rock. And so with that passage as our background, <clears throat> we come into our text today. As we finished up uh, last week, uh, the Lord has begun proclaiming the gospel in Galilee. Starts out by himself, and then we'll see at the end his popularity has grown immensely. But it says in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But as we read in this Jeremiah passage, the Lord's plan is to send out fishermen to find his people and call them to repentance. He's going to have to send out fishermen to catch his people from all around the world. And so we come to our text today with Mark 1:16 and see that the Lord calls fishermen very literally to find his people. Mark 1:16 through 20 says passing alongside the sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, 
for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they followed him. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is ready to fish for his people among the nations. But to do that, he needs fishermen who will take his gospel message to the world. And it begins here with these two sets of brothers. And we see these men leaving their jobs and then we see them leaving their uh, immediate family as far as their fathers and mothers to go and to follow Jesus. Now, not everyone who follows Jesus will make these same exact sacrifices, but this we know is true for all of us. To follow Jesus is transformative. To follow Jesus means things will not remain the same. Jesus is Lord, and to follow him means to do his will his way. When you follow Jesus, you may end up leaving behind a programming profession in West Virginia and preaching in a church in Palmhurst, Texas someday. In in a heat dome, right? Or whatever that is that's going on with the weather. But following Jesus means doing His will, His way. Believing the gospel message looks like following Jesus sacrificially. And we are told to do the Lord's will, the Lord's way, and the Lord's timing. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus is Lord. He has authority, and he begins to assert his authority here in verses 21 through 34. First, he asserts his authority on the Sabbath over the spiritual realm. Look at verses 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is just a city in the Galilee region. And this seems to be Jesus' hometown that he was set up uh, his ministry and, and went out of. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, in Jesus' day, it was a common practice for a visiting teacher to be asked to read Scripture or to speak when visiting a synagogue. And in our day, that's no longer the case, but... We see Jesus coming into this synagogue and casting out an unclean spirit or also called a demon later on in our passage. And I would encourage you to go back to uh, the sermons uh, on our website uh, from Genesis chapter six to see the origin of these unclean spirits. There was a spiritual rebellion and uh, 
resulting in these unclean spirits that wanted to oppress men and oppose God. But Jesus here displays that he has authority over these unclean spirits. He has authority in the earthly realm and in the spiritual realm. And notice that these demons recognize Jesus for who he is and his coming judgment is tied to or, or his his coming in judgment is tied to their knowledge of him. Have you come to judge us? Is the time now to be cast into the lake of fire? But it wasn't just the casting out of demons that the people noted was authoritative, was it? Jesus taught with authority, not like the scribes. When the scribes taught, they would get up and they would refer to the teaching of other rabbis. And so their authority was based upon who they had read or or what these other rabbis had said. It was a derivative authority. But Jesus is not teaching that way. Jesus was God in flesh. He was the very author of the scriptures. He didn't have he didn't have uh, the need to consult the commentary on the scriptures. He wrote them. He knew exactly what they meant and he taught them with authority. He was the word incarnate. Jesus was authoritative in word and in deed. But while the people recognize that Jesus has a new teaching with authority and his authority over demons, they still do not recognize him for who he truly is, the Holy One of God. Now, Jesus not only has an authoritative message and he also has authority over the spiritual realm, but he also asserts his authority on the Sabbath over the physical realm or or over diseases, if you will. Look at verses twenty nine through thirty four. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. What is overlooked in our day but was radical at this time is that women are important to God. Jesus cares about those whom society does not. From the elderly, the sick, the disabled, the poor, the castaways, all are important to Jesus. And it's, it's important for us to recognize that God is God of, of all. And we noted that in the calling of the disciples that to follow Jesus is transformative. To follow Jesus means that things will not remain the same. Jesus is Lord. And to follow him means to do his will his way. Peter's mother-in-law, I believe, is a very important uh, example for us as disciples of Jesus. When Jesus healed her, she began to serve them. When you follow Jesus, you follow Jesus' example. You serve. No task is too menial. It's been said before, God did not save you to sit. He saved you to serve. Are you following the example set by Peter's mother-in-law? I know that in other Gospels, we are told that, for instance, Mary Magdalene uh, followed Jesus around and, and her and other ladies provided from their, their funds, and then they provided uh, food and cooked. I mean, you had these disciples that were going around from town to town. Somebody had to take care of them. And so 
we see people getting involved in the ministry of Jesus. Are you involved in the ministry of Jesus? Sometimes, sometimes ministering to Jesus looks like changing a diaper in the nursery on a Sunday morning so that parents can sit in the service without distraction. We just don't know what service is going to look like when we follow Jesus. So we see that Jesus has an authoritative message message with authority over the spiritual and physical realm. And now he asserts his authority on a Sunday to the whole to the whole city. Look at verse 32. It says that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. That evening at sundown, it's pointing to the fact that the Sabbath had officially ended. Okay, so in in the time reckoning of the Jews, a day ended at sundown. And so Sabbath restrictions on how far they could travel and that type of thing were lifted at sundown. And so since the Sabbath has officially ended, people could now walk as far as necessary to get to Jesus. And they began to carry sick people to see Jesus. Something that would have been considered work by the Jewish leaders. We see the desperation of the people here. They didn't even wait until the next day. They went even though it was dark. And we don't consider how perilous that could be in our day because we have street lights and headlights on our cars and things like that. None of those things which they had in those days. We should observe here that there's a distinction between diseases and demons. Some want to dismiss demons as uh, a primitive understanding, uh, a misunderstanding of illnesses. And certainly we have a better understanding of illnesses in our day and praise the Lord for that. But illnesses do not explain what is described as demon possession in the Bible. More than just physical forces are at work in the world. There's a spiritual realm and there is a physical realm. Now, these demons recognize Jesus. Why does he forbid the demons from speaking and further revealing his identity? This is what's sometimes referred to as the messianic secret. Jesus telling people not to reveal uh, who he is or tell what he's done. Why would he do that? Well, Jesus is going to reveal himself according to his plan, according to his timing. You see, Jesus has a plan and he's working his plan. Have have any of you ever been a part of a, a surprise birthday party or a surprise anniversary party? Right. You you tell people and then you say, don't say anything. Keep it to yourself. You keep it quiet because you want there to be the surprise. There's a timing to the whole process. Well, Jesus has his plan to reveal himself in his time. And so that is why we have this going on here where he is he is forbidding them to speak at this time when he's ready to reveal himself. He will reveal himself. By casting out demons and physically healing people, Jesus is showing he has the authority to reverse the effects of the fall and the spiritual rebellion of the watchers that we read about in Genesis 6. The miracles of Jesus here are a preview of the new creation. 
They're like little flashes of what the new creation will be like. Or if you want to think like uh, of a preview, like sometimes we watch a movie preview and we get little pieces of the movie put together in a 30 second little thing. And it's like, oh, this is this is what the movie's about. That's somewhat what we see with Jesus as he goes about and he's casting out these demons and he's performing these miracles. These are little previews of the new creation where there'll be no evil spiritual forces, where there'll be no more sickness and no more pain and no more sorrow. So it's that preview. And folks, sometimes we watch a preview of a movie and we go, boy, I can't wait to see that. Some of you are struggling with sickness and pain. Some of you have loved ones who are going through a very difficult time. There's coming a better day. I'm looking forward to that new creation. It's going to be wonderful. And we see little glimpses of it here in the life of Jesus. But this world is not the end. It's going to be better. So hang in there. Lament your situation and trust your good God until we get to that new creation where there's no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. As one song says, there'll be no graves in glory land. A new creation is coming where we will all have resurrection bodies. But let's continue here. The Lord has now got the whole city closing in upon his house that he's staying in. And and when he began, it was just Jesus preaching his message. But now he's super popular in Capernaum. And many people are going to demand his attention. And this is where Jesus reveals to us his priorities. Look at the priority that Jesus places on prayer in verse 35. We have four verbs in this verse. Rising, departing, went out, prayed. Action. It says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus put a high priority on spending time with the Father. Do you realize what a privilege it is to pray? I remember one time... Uh, this has been several years ago, uh, but I was invited to go to a luncheon where the governor of Texas was speaking. And so I went to the went to the luncheon and and uh, they spoke and that type of thing. But then afterwards, the guy that had invited me and, and Mr. Munay to go to this said, hey, do you want to do you want to meet the governor? I'm like, sure. Right. So we went into this little room and we got to shake his hand and just say a couple words with him. But all of that happened because somebody else had privileges. Somebody else had access to the governor and they afforded me access to him. Not anybody can just go in and speak to the governor. But beloved, every single one of you who are a child of God can go to God in prayer anytime, anywhere. What an amazing privilege. Are you taking advantage of it? Because Jesus knows his days are going to be filled and they're going to be busy. And so he gets up early. It's still dark. And before the busyness of the day begins, he takes time to pray. 
Beloved, we can't perform miracles like Jesus, but we can pray to the Father like He did. So Jesus has a priority on prayer, but He also has a priority on preaching the message. Look at verses 36 through 39. It says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now he's moving on from Capernaum into the other cities that are in the Galilee region. But isn't this somewhat of a surprising response from Jesus? Everyone in Capernaum is looking for him. But instead of staying there and growing his ministry there, Jesus responds that it is time to move on because that's why he left heaven. These people have heard the message. Other people need to hear. It's important for us to understand Jesus states his mission here to get out the message of God's gospel. The message of the gospel is more important than the miracles. The preaching of the gospel is more important than popularity. You see, the miracles of Jesus spoke to his authority and they previewed the new creation. But it is what is of greater importance is the message of the gospel, his authoritative message. As Jesus begins to fish for his people, it is the message that is more important than the miracles or the popularity. We, too, should have this priority of gospel proclamation. We can't perform miracles like Jesus and the apostles, but we have the same authoritative message. Hebrews 2, 3 and 4 tells us, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard the apostles. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You see, the signs and the wonders accompanied Jesus and the apostles. But after they passed from the scene, the sign gifts ceased. The apostles and prophets being the foundation upon which the church is built, we're told in Ephesians 2.19 that uh, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. How many foundations do we need for a house? Just one, right? Just one. So the message was verified by Jesus and the apostles and the prophets. But after that, the sign gifts cease. We can't perform miracles like Jesus and the apostles, but we have the same authoritative Message. It's why Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In 1 Corinthians 1.17 and 18, Paul again writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize. Baptisms aren't the big deal. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Beloved, we have an authoritative, powerful message that we can share with others. First Corinthians 1, 20 through 24 says this. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God doesn't save people through wisdom. He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We cannot perform miracles like Jesus and the apostles, but we have the same authoritative message. It sounds like foolishness to say that God became flesh and died for his people. Aren't the people supposed to worship God and give things to him? Our God became flesh, died on the cross for our sins, and then was resurrected for our righteousness, for our justification. It sounds crazy, but the thing of it was, is God turned the injustice against Jesus into our salvation. He made his death, which was an unjust death, effective for the people who make Jesus their king. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, I urge you, repent of your sins and trust Christ alone. For your salvation. We have the same authoritative message that Jesus has, but here's the thing. We must share it. Romans 10, 13 says this for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or the message of Christ. Have you shared the gospel with anyone recently? And beloved, I speak to myself. We need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel and then boldness to share it when God gives us the opportunity. That's how people hear. How can they believe in a gospel they've never heard? And how will they hear unless someone shares it with them? It's your responsibility and it's my responsibility as God's fishermen to go out and find his people. Jesus has revealed his priorities to us. We need those same priorities of prayer and proclamation. Now, finally, here the Lord reveals his authority to the priests. A leper is going to come on the scene. Biblical leprosy referred to various skin diseases. I'm going to read to you about them from the New American Commentary. It says, not only was the disease painful and debilitating, but it rendered the victims religiously and socially unclean. They were required to live outside of cities and towns, have no contact with anyone, and declare themselves unclean when anyone approached. The law regarding leprosy can be found in Leviticus 13 and 14. 
So they're unclean. They, they cannot come into the temple. That doesn't mean they were sinning. It just means they were unclean. And we have a leper now. We're, we're, we're in this part of the story where Jesus is now going through Galilee. Right? He's not in Capernaum. He's going through Galilee. And we read in verses 40 through 44 how he reveals his authority to the priests. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus cannot be made unclean by the touch of a leper. Anybody else come in contact with a leper, then you're unclean for a period of time. But instead, here, Jesus touches the leper and he makes the leper clean. Once again, asserting his authority over the spiritual realm. He cannot be defiled. Now, Jesus sends the healed leper to the priest for two reasons. Number one is according to what Moses commanded, the laws of leprosy. A person would, if if their leprosy went away, they would present themselves to the priest and the priest would declare them to be clean and then they could resume interacting in society. The second reason and the more important reason that Jesus sent the leper to the priest was for a proof to them. Well, a proof of what? Well, that Jesus had authority, just like the prophet Elijah, Elisha, I'm sorry, Elisha. You remember the story of Naaman, the Syrian commander? Naaman was a commander in the Syrian army. They were enemies of God and he had leprosy and he had a he had a little servant girl who said, boy, if only you could if you could. See Elisha, the prophet, he could heal you. And so the king of Syria sends Naaman with a letter to the king. And he says, please, basically, please heal Naaman. And the king's like, am I God that I can clean him? And then Elisha hears about it and he says, hey, send for him. Let him come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So we have this. Precedent set that when someone heals a person of leprosy, there is a prophet in Israel. So when the healed leper told the priest how his leprosy was cured by Jesus, the priest would know that something big was happening. At a minimum, a prophet had arisen in Israel. And as a result of this encounter with the priest, in the following stories, we're going to start seeing scribes and Pharisees showing up wherever Jesus is at, and they're going to be evaluating him as to whether he is from God or not. But that's moving ahead. Another interesting piece of this story is in verse 43. It says, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away. Sternly is a word that has negative connotations. And the word sent away is the same word that's translated cast out. When referring to the demons, why is Jesus so negative 
with this leper? Well, it's because Jesus knows he will not obey his command to keep quiet. Mark 1.45 But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, it's interesting to see the responses to Jesus' authority in our passage today. And I've categorized it in those three words, foe, fan, or follower. So let's just go through these folks, the the fishermen that Jesus called to. They follow Jesus and they leave their livelihood and parents. So would you consider them a foe, a fan, or a follower? A follower, okay. The demons obey Jesus, but they oppose him, right? So we, we would consider the demons to be a foe, right? Okay. Now, the people in the synagogue, they're amazed... But they seem to hesitate. So would we say they're a foe, a fan, or a follower? They're fans, right? Man, what what is this? Something new. How about Peter's mother-in-law, who when she's healed, she serves? Would she be a foe, a fan, or a follower? A follower. What about the healed leper who disobeys Jesus? Is he a foe, a fan, or a follower? Hmm. That's a little harder, isn't it? I would have to think he'd be somewhat of a fan, right? Because he healed him. But what do his actions reveal? He, he's a foe, right? He, he doesn't obey. Now, an amazing thing has happened to him, but the one who performed that on him said, don't say anything. Now, it's interesting to evaluate the characters in this story this morning, but, but let me ask you this. What's your take? On Jesus' authority. What's your interest in Jesus? If you look at your life, would you say you're a foe or a fan or a follower? You see, Jesus is the Holy One of God. He has authority over demons and he has authority over diseases. But it is his authoritative message that is his mission. And the person who believes his message will come under his authority By following, obeying, and serving. You need to stop treating Jesus like an acquaintance whom you can pick and choose whether you listen to him or not. Jesus is the Lord of all creation who has authority over you. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus as the Lord of your life. Don't waste your life doing life your way. Live for Christ. Serve Him with your life. Christians here this morning, are you fishing? Are you proclaiming His message to anyone? You see, the way to find God's people is to proclaim the authoritative message, the authoritative gospel of God, and see who follows Jesus. Proclaim the authoritative gospel and see who follows Jesus. But we have to share it. Don't be silent. 
Jesus is the Lord of all creation. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel and then pray for boldness. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll see that they prayed for boldness, 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 boldness. Why? Because sometimes when the opportunities come, we shrink back from sharing the gospel. So pray for opportunities and then pray for boldness when those opportunities come. Tell others about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Some of you may have heard of a poem called Invictus. And the the British have Invictus games. Uh, If I remember correctly, I think they're for... Uh, they're veterans who have been injured, uh, kind of like a Paralympics type of thing. And it's called the Invictus Games. The Invictus is a poem written by William Ernest Henley. And he summed up very well the thought of so many people before they met Jesus Christ. He wrote this. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And it's a poem that basically shakes its fist at God. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. But that describes us as we go through life and we ignore the Lord of our lives. But beloved, when Christ comes in, when you decide to follow Christ, everything changes. And I wrote this, it's, it's based on Romans 14, 7 through 9, but it's kind of a, the flip side of the Invictus statement. It says this, I am not the Lord of my life, the master of my fate, nor the captain of my soul. I am Christ, whether in life or death. And his lordship over my life was bought with a bloody price, his death for my sins. He is the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. You see, when Jesus calls his disciples, it's transformative. Things will not be the same. What is your response to the authority of Jesus? Are you a foe? Are you simply a fan? Just pick and choose what you like about what he teaches? Or are you a follower of Jesus Christ?